0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're standing here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or look there in your bulletin to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're continuing our time through the gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 5. Also, um, forgot to mention one other thing in announcements uh, as we're transitioning. Um, not this Wednesday, because we're doing the Operation uh, Shoebox, uh, C- Operation Christmas Child packing, but every other Wednesday night after that, Um, If you have a a child that you would like to have uh, in the Christmas uh, uh, lessons and carols, um, try to get them here on Wednesday nights. They're going to be practicing Wednesday nights and and then also on um, Sunday mornings. Um, Luke chapter 5. So uh, last week, if you remember, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus because he was eating and drinking with sinners. He was eating and drinking with the wrong people. And, And Jesus used that as an opportunity to remind us of his mission that he was the great physician, that he's kind of like a doctor, and yet he's sent for our sin-sick souls, and Jesus came, said that He came for the sick, and so he's going to be where the sick are, the lost. But the thing about Pharisees, and you'll learn this as we go through Luke, is that Pharisees, they, they Pharisee, okay? It's like Alabama fans. They just they just they do Alabama fan stuff. You know, it's like grumblers. Grumbles are just going to grumble, right? That's what they do. And so this morning, they go from criticizing Jesus from eating and drinking with sinners to criticizing him for eating and drinking at all. And uh, they do so by bringing up this ancient practice in which John has already mentioned for us called fasting, Uh, fasting. Um, And and so this is, uh, I guess, confession time. So I, I was in college before I even heard or saw anyone who ever fasted. Um, and, and here I was, this little country boy, and I was raised in a very small, like, country Presbyterian church with like twenty members, and like, I was I was related to all but five of them. And, and against all odds, I didn't know I was I didn't know I was on an Assemblies of God campus ministry leadership team. I didn't know that, but that's what I ended up being. Um, I was I found myself on a leadership team and part of like the charismatic churches, big time speaking in tongues, fasting, throwing oil on people, and that's kind of all they're they're big into that. And so, part of being on the leadership team was um it meant that you had to fast once a week. And so uh, the day that we had our worship large group gathering, the leadership team were expected to fast and spend the day uh not eating and praying a lot about that afternoon. Um again, like I was uh, I still am, uh, Presbyterian Reformed, so we kind of have a different view on fasting. Um, but I, I'll never forget uh, this, this. I was in a class, and I just so happened to have, be in a history class with another person on the leadership team of this campus ministry. And I totally forgot about this whole fasting thing. And so I'm sitting there in class, class is about to start, I'm opening up a pack of M&M's and I start eating my M&M's. And I look over to the guy in, my, uh, in the class who's also on the leadership team who was also fasting. I, I just forgot. I, I asked him if he wanted some M&M's as well. I was just trying to share. And he, um, I will never forget, he gave me that stink eye that Christians can give, you know. Um, it, it was a look of utter judgment and he said, no. I'm fasting today. And and that was one of those (laughs) busted moments, you know? So that was my introduction to fasting. Um, And so we, we need passages like this this morning because for thousands of years, people who fasted have been seen as more holy um, as more spiritual, like if anyone loves God, it's definitely going to be the people who fast. And so the holy rollers of Jesus' day, which were the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week, two times a week. Uh, they were so serious about it. And we talked about John Wesley last week, but you know in college John Wesley was a founding member of what became known as quote the Holy Club. And uh, one of the features of the Holy Club was that the members of the Holy Club were asked to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays every, every week. And from that club, Wesley, and we sang a song by his brother Charles Wesley earlier today, but um, they would go on to found the Methodist Church, and fasting was such a key practice to Wesley that John Wesley wouldn't even ordain a minister in their church unless they fasted at least twice a week. I mean, so it was, it's crucially important to him. And, and so over the centuries, you know, pe- people have fasted for all sorts of reasons. You know, we, uh, you know televangelists, if you watch on TV, they, they'll tell their viewers to, to go without something or to give up something so that you might gain even more, right? Financial gain, blessing. Uh, people have fasted trying to get God's attention, trying to get God's favor. And, and then, you know, people have fasted just, you know, to lose weight or to maybe, you know, do a cleanse or something. But yet, and I hope this clicks, not one of those, not one of those fit the description of biblical fasting. And so, I don't know about you, but when it comes to something as misunderstood and abused as fasting, I think it's good that we just go to the source, right? Um, What did Jesus have to say about fasting? What, What does fasting look like as one of his followers? So let's... Let's find out this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 5, 33 through 39. This is God's good word to us. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus also told them a parable no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment if he does he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old and no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires new For he says, "The old is good." It's God's word. Let's pray, Uh, Father. May you be with us through your Spirit as we walk through this passage and this ancient practice of fasting, Um, Lord. I hope I like I've studied, but if what I say is not helpful or not true, then strike all that out. Um, But Lord, may we we be encouraged uh, in the gospel to see uh, what is a gospel version of fasting. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. All right, so irregardless of people's uh, spiritual beliefs, um, or, or lack thereof, if you, if you believe in Jesus or not, you, you can't deny the fact that, I mean, Jesus, I mean, he's a really big deal. Because like, n- n- never has one individual changed the course of human history like he has. He came with a new teaching About a new way of life that he called the kingdom of God, and all of that was a foretaste of the beautiful future that we will have in Him in the new heaven, new heavens and the new earth. But he didn't just come with a new teaching, did he? Um, Through his death and his his life, his death and resurrection, he also gave us a new and better way of relating to God, like another way of salvation. Uh, he was the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament ceremonial system, which means you know, all the priests and all the, ta- you know, the tabernacle, the temples, the lamps, the incense, the altars, the, the spilled blood, the, the sacrifice. Like all of that was pointing us to Jesus. And so Jesus was and is making all things new. And since that's the case, it's only natural that Jesus would give us a new way of thinking about fasting that for his followers, fasting looks different from other uh, people's fast. Uh, but for Jesus' words here to, to kind of pop like they would the original hearers, um, I think we need to pull back first and, and just get a primer on fasting in the Bible. So what is a, just a biblical theology of fasting? so we can have that in our minds before we get to what Jesus said. So first got to do is define what it is. What is fasting? Well, Donald Whitney defines biblical fasting as a voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And in the Bible, we see this in really kind of three practical ways. Uh, one is the normal fast, which is you, you fast or you don't eat food, but you can drink liquids. Okay, so no, all, you, you fast from food, but not water. You know, this was Jesus in the wilderness, right? Um, second kind of big category is a partial fast and this was this would be Daniel and his friends when they they limited their diet eating only vegetables and water for 10 days and then third there's of course the absolute fast the the fasting from all food all liquid and uh, this is Paul uh, after Jesus struck him down and converted him you know Paul didn't eat or drink for three days Um, this is Moses on the mountain um, this is that's the kind of fast that will kill you. You know, it, it can be like um, very, very, uh, well, like Moses was a supernatural fast. Um, okay, so it's abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose, and, and that's that last part is key because if it's not done for a spiritual purpose, then it's just medical, it's just dietary, um, it's just you, right? So fasting is about our hunger signifying our hunger for God. Um, But then there's also a broader kind of expanding view of fasting, and this is more of the reformer's view. Calvin said fasting is a practice whereby we withdraw something from the normal regimen of living, and this is what John was mentioning this morning. Um, You know, it can be a fast from social media, a fast from your phone, a fast from any number of things. Uh, for a spiritual purpose. Unless you think that's just preacher talk, here are some of the spiritual purposes in which people fasted in the Bible. And and I want you to note as we go through some of these, not one of these reasons is to earn God's favor. Uh, It's not to earn salvation. No, fasting is not a salvation thing. It's a spiritual discipline thing, which means that's what happens after you've been saved. So in the Bible, we see people fasting to seek God's guidance to express grief and loss, to seek protection. We see people fasting to cry out in repentance to God. We see people fasting to fight temptation. And we see people fasting to minister to the needs of others. So fasting has a way of stripping away all the things that prop us up and all the things that we've used in this world to numb ourselves and to distract our souls, and so that we are left more viscerally aware of our need of God. Whitney reminds us that fasting isn't, it's not some kind of like spiritual hunger strike, where we're like, we ain't eating God until you do this, and and, and we force God to do our bidding. No, he writes, fasting doesn't change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. It focuses us, and, and you know, there's something very focusing about praying when you're uncomfortable. You know, you go through a dark valley with your health, or the health of maybe one of your loved ones, and the cries to God just start flowing out of you. A dark valley with your kids, and you've never prayed so hard in your life. A dark valley in your career, your marriage, and, and, you're, like, and you're on your knees, like literally on your knees, crying out to God. God. Oh, so aware of your need of His grace and His care. God, come through. Fasting, it's been said, prepares the ground and it heightens our desires. It, it sobers us up to the fact that ultimately Jesus is all we have and ultimately Jesus is all we need. Because here's how life works. When life is good and we're comfortable, we're prone to forget that. And our souls can atrophy And the Bible's full of this. this, This is mentioned several times. Remember Moses said this to Israel right before they entered the promised land. This was Moses' last talk to them, last sermon, so to speak. In Deuteronomy 8, he said, Look, take care, be aware of this, lest you forget the Lord your God. When you have eaten and are full, and you've built good homes and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold have multiplied, you just got so much stuff. And he says, then your heart will be lifted up. You're going to be happy. Life's going to be good. And you will forget the Lord your God. And so for God's people, part of shepherding their and our own soul is shepherding ourselves towards the things of God has always meant fasting. For a spiritual purpose, so that's what it is. That's what just bare bones definition of fasting. But where do we see it in the Bible? Uh, well, it, it may surprise you that uh, fasting was only commanded by God one time, just just one time in the, like the entire Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, you know, the day the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to offer atonement for the people, uh, the people's sins. On that day, Israel was called to fast. And as far as God's command, like, Thus saith the Lord, you better fast. That's it. Like That is the only time God commanded it. But throughout the Bible, we see that there are also other occasions in which God didn't command it, but God's people felt compelled to fast for a spiritual purpose, uh, to fast to the Lord. And these occasions, we could say, fall into kind of three, kind of, Maybe four, but we'll say three today, three big buckets. Um, one is if you remember in Esther, uh, when uh, the Jews heard about the genocidal edict of Xerxes, um, then they, as a nation, like as a people group, um, they grieving, uh, they fasted and they cried out to the Lord. So it was a, this is the first category, a national fast. And you know, Hebrews aren't the only ones who have ever done a, a national fast um, in the history of America. We've had several, maybe three or four different occasions, where we've been called on to, to fast as a nation. Uh, James, uh, John Adams, and James Madison each called for a national fast, and then during the Civil War, a few times Abraham Lincoln called for the nation to fast during that war to, to fast and pray. Um, so it's a national fast you see in the Bible. Second, we see a private kind of individual fast. It's just you. And, and this is more in line with what Jesus was uh, taught, what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He said that when you fast, look, don't make a show about it. Don't, don't, who cares? Nobody else cares you're fasting. But when, when you feel compelled to fast, then that is between you and God. You fast in private. It's a private fast. It's between you and God. And then the third big category, so national, private, and then the third big category is a congregational fast. Um, and John read this morning that the church in Antioch fasted before laying hands on Paul and Barnabas and sending them out as missionaries. And if you, as you read that, you, you think, or at least I think, um, I, can't, I can't help but think about all that laid in the balance of that congregational fasting. You know, had, had they not sent Paul and Barnabas out, we may not even be here today. And if you probably remember a few weeks ago, we did that. Remember? Um, our elders uh, called uh, the entire congregation to a day of prayer and fasting. And I'm, I made the announcement. And, and so, um, when that ever does happen, um, well, actually, you, let, me, let me have like a little sidetrack here just real quick. Um, a few weeks ago, we did call for a congregational um, day of fasting. And it was intentionally to cry out to God in regards to our farmers, our community, uh, to the express grain situation. And, and those of you who have been here a long time, you know that we rarely do that. Like that's a pretty rare time that we call the entire congregation to fast and pray. Um, and, and so when that ever does happen, I want to lovingly encourage you to make every effort uh, to participate in that. Um, every effort to participate and seek the Lord during that time. Because um, we, I mean, we don't do this willy-nilly. Okay, This is um, when we call you, please respond. So national, private, congregational. So that's kind of a, a crash course as far as the Bible is concerned on what uh, fasting is. But the problem is, as we see in the Gospels, by the time we get to Jesus— uh, that teaching on fasting had, had begun to be misunderstood and abused. And, and so Jesus steps in and gives us a new and better understanding of it. In verse 33, the religious leaders say, Look, John the Baptist's disciples all fast, and all the Pharisees and their disciples fast, so why don't you, why don't, you, why don't yours fast? It looks like y'all are having fun. Has anybody ever said that about you or your church or our church? Anybody ever said that about Christians? Um, you know, during this time, John the, John the Baptist's disciples, they were fasting in preparation for uh, the coming Messiah, in, in preparation for the Christ. But the Pharisees, for them, fasting was an opportunity to show everyone just how religious they were. It was like their own Broadway, and this is their big break. And, and so they fasted on you know, twice a week, but it was also on the days, they were market days. And so they fasted so that everyone could see them, and some would even put makeup on to make their faces look pale and emaciated and uh, it, to exaggerate their suffering. For, because for the Pharisees, uh, they didn't think you could be spiritual without being uncomfortable. Spirituality for them meant doing more and trying harder to earn God's approval and, and favor, and it was no nonsense. We don't, we, don't do, we don't do jokes. And, you know, sadly, there's a lot of other churchgoers today who still practice that religion of the Pharisees. Um, the writer Irma Bombeck told the story, y'all may have heard this, she told the story of seeing in church one Sunday when a little child in front of her turned around and started smiling at the people you know, in the pews behind her. And uh, the child's mom noticed and said, Stop that grinning. You're in church. And then the mom, she said the mom kind of gave the child a little swat. And the child turned around, and the mom said, That's better. And, and in thinking about that, Bombat concluded that some people come to church looking like they have just read the will of their rich aunt, only to learn that she left everything to her pet hamster. And we we come in, and we're just so happy. We just can't can't contain ourselves. We just have to frown the whole entire worship service. Um, For the Pharisees, spirituality meant suffering and and, and fasting. And yet they looked at Jesus, and his disciples were feasting, and they were joyous. And so they see that, and they're like, okay, uh, that looks different. Um, What's up with that? And so Jesus responded by saying something extraordinary. He said, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? And, and this was such a piercing question because during this time, you know, the, you know, the newly married couples, they didn't go off on honeymoons. No, they, they stayed home, and it was like a, a week-long open house wedding party. week-long party. And the people who stayed for that week and celebrated were called uh, guests of the bridegroom. And this was such a key part of their culture, that these wedding guests that fall under this category, guests of the bridegroom, were exempt from all fasting by rabbinical ruling. So they said that all people in attendance to the bridegroom were relieved of all religious observances, which would lessen their joy. That's how big of a deal celebrating weddings were to them. And so in, in other words, in that day, it was just, it was tacky. It's just unbecoming. It, I mean, not even the most zealous of Pharisees fasted at a wedding. No, now you did that when it was not the wedding. But when the wedding was on, I mean, you're like my kids, the few times that we've let our kids go to a Delta wedding reception, um, they're, like, they're all about the cake, right? They're at the wedding reception. They're like, where's the cake? Where are they going to cut the cake? When are they going to cut the cake? When are they going to cut the cake? It's cake. Cake and dance floor. That's all they care about. Eugene Peterson said that this would be like pouring water on a friendly bonfire. Okay, well the gospel takes this teaching here of like you're crazy to fast at a wedding. It it takes this teaching and expands it even further and tells us that in Christ not only are we the guests of the bridegroom, but like in Christ we are the bride at the wedding. In other words, it's your party too. Does a bride fast at her wedding? No. If you are in Christ, Jesus is teaching us that there is a hope and a joy and a peace that comes with salvation that it just doesn't jive with misery. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit with gloomy fasting. And I'm absolutely not saying that following Christ means you won't suffer with depression or you won't grieve or experience pain No, we well know life in this fallen world is excruciatingly hard. And that's why Jesus is going to say later that there will be times when we will fast. But the point here, Christ is saying that even then, we still have a joy and hope in him that anchors us and sees us through the hard. And because they still didn't understand, Jesus used three quick parables to kind of crystallize his teaching here. First, he said... No one cuts pieces out of new clothes and sews them into their old clothes. No, no. If you do that, then your old clothes don't match and you've just ruined your new clothes. And so what Jesus means is, is you, can't, okay, you can't take pieces of Jesus or little bits of it and kind of patch him into your way of life to patch him into your old way of doing things. Like you can't just add Jesus and continue trying to earn your salvation. No, Jesus is saying, look, like, I'm not here to patch up your old tired ways of doing more and trying harder so that you can be good enough for God maybe one day. No, no, like, Jesus says, I've come so that if you are in me, you have the Father, Like period. And so he's looking at these Pharisees, maybe he's looking at us, he's like, keep your grumpy old fast all you want, but I'm here for the forgiveness of sinners. And then he brought up the second one, the, the wine skins. And I, man, I was thinking about this. It's kind of gross once you think about it. Has anybody drank out of a wine skin? Y'all do that? So I'm not seeing anybody. Um, so in ancient times, and apparently in still some cultures today, um, you, you'll skin a goat, and you, they, they, they quote, quote, lightly tan it. You don't want to tan it all the way. You've got to keep it still kind of wet, right, on the inside. They would keep it uh, moist, they would sew it up, and then they would pour wine in there, <laughs> uh, so that the wine could ferment and expand, and um, and then you would drink out of that, I guess. And so, uh, as the as the wine skins became older, you know, they were they had become flexed out, they became brittle and not as elastic, and you know, their natural stretchiness had had faded, and so. Um, Y'all know, like, if you would put new wine, it would overexpand the old wineskin, skin, and it would burst, and you would lose all the the wine. Okay, Jesus is saying that that in Him, um, God is doing a radically new thing. And, and real quick, a lot of a lot of preachers will use this this uh, parable to kind of say like you know, maybe they want like a projector or they want like smoke machines or something in the sanctuary. And they're like, hey, look, God's doing a new thing. And so we need new wine skins. We need new, you know, hardware. It's not about changing church culture. Jesus, this is a gospel teaching. Jesus is saying that he is doing a radically new thing. that, That he has come to bring explosive, expanding joy into the lives of his people. And salvation... And Jesus is saying that this new thing can't be contained in the old, worn-out way of doing religion. The old, worn-out religion of the Pharisees. No, this, this new wine of the gospel can, can only expand in new hearts. And then in case we haven't forgotten this message, and really this last part is really a, a condemnation on the Pharisees, Jesus finished with the third parable, verse 39 he said, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. All right, So I mean, this is a little more confusing, right? Because Jesus has just said that he's like new wine, and now he's saying the old is good. And all right, well, here, here's what he's saying. Um, and, and look, I, I am no, is it a sommelier? Is that what they call it, the wine people? I, am no, I know nothing about wine, so I had to look like all this up. Um, Because usually we think of older as better, right? We think of older as better when it comes to wine and distilled spirits and things like that. Um, But apparently that's not always the case with wine, according to the internet. Um, It it all depends on the vintage. With wine, vintage trumps age. And I had to look that up too. What that means is um, the year the grapes were harvested. In other words, if, if the harvest is bad, if it's bad grapes that you put into those wine skins, then it, you can age it all you want. You're not going to get a great product. But if the grapes are good, like a great crop, if what, is, what goes in to begin with is amazing, then the aging process, yes, it will make it even better. And so Jesus is talking about not necessarily the aging process, but he's talking about the goodness of the gospel versus the utter not-so-goodness of the religion of the Pharisees. What is going into those wineskins? And so um, he says, you know, it, well, the, the, the Bible tells us that new wine symbolizes exuberant joy of the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm here to give sinners new and better clothes of righteousness, I'm here to give n- new and better wineskins in which grace can expand into your hearts and feel and be filled with the new and better wine of the Spirit more than you could ever think or imagine, and yet some never even try it. They don't want to, because they prefer their old religion and their old ways, and they will die in their pride. So that was his condemnation on that. Um, so older is not always better. Okay, so what does all this mean for us? Well, uh, most importantly, if you've never come to Jesus, if, if you think I'm just like, I have like horns growing out of my head, like what is, what is he even talking about? If you've never experienced the new garment and the new wine of his salvation by grace, then you're invited to come. Um, there is no other way of salvation. You know, Jesus is the only way. So, so come to him. And put all of your eggs in his basket. And ask him to meet you exactly where you are. And you go to him in prayer and like bring your doubts, bring your fears, your shame, your secrets, bring your sin, and taste and see that he is good. Experience some of that joy that he's talking about here. All right, Then, then second... Okay, all right, what does all this mean for fasting when it comes to us and fasting? What, what is Jesus saying? Well, remember, the only command to fast in the Bible was related to the Day of Atonement, right? And so we believe that when Jesus came, um, He made the ultimate atonement. So the Day of Atonement was all about you know, forgiving sins so that God could stay present with His people. But when Jesus came and died and rose... He fulfilled all that. Like in him, our sins were fully atoned and cleansed. And now in him, we have the presence of God through the Spirit. So, in that sense, God's command to fast is no longer binding. And I mean, it just, it just doesn't fit with our reality of grace, right? It just doesn't fit. But with that said, we live. In in what we call the already and the not yet, right? That Jesus has already saved us and he has already inaugurated his kingdom. But he hasn't returned to fully consummate that kingdom. Which means in the meantime, we find ourselves in a world that's still filled with injustice. And we still find ourselves with the presence of sin in our lives, And thus, we may find ourselves being compelled by the Spirit to fast, not because we're trying to earn God's favor. No, in in the gospel, there is no more hustling for worthiness. Rather, because we already have God's favor in Jesus, we may find the Spirit compelling us to fast for all those reasons that we listed earlier. But yet, even then, it's only temporary. It's only a temporary fast. Because the Jesus way is not the gloomy and miserable way. No, the, the Jesus way is where the joy is. It's as Psalm 16 says, it says, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if you are in Christ, that is your reality. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love uh, for us. Uh, Lord, forgive, forgive me uh, for forgetting it. And um, Lord, draw me, draw us back into yourself. Um, Lord, give us a biblical view of fasting. Uh, but even more so than that, give us a biblical view of of what you've done with our sin and shame, and how you loved us by your grace. And may that change us and compel us. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.